Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's podcast. I know it's been a few weeks since I've been here, but my energy has really been focusing in other projects. Um, and I've decided to allow myself to show up here when it feels good and when it feels right. And this week, I'm so excited to bring you this very important conversation. Um, I invited a career coach, a Forbes, a featured in Forbes career coach onto my podcast who actually happens to be my cousin. And she is, um, we have a discussion about equity at work and diversity and inclusion. She is a woman of color. Um, her background, she's my cousin on my mom's side. So she's Colombian on her mom's side and her father is black. So she is mixed and she really brings this unique perception and perspective to uh, corporate America, to the, her coaching clients, because her population is, you know, BIPOC um, women of color that are working in corporate America and really how to navigate that and make it more inclusive. Um, this conversation, I just want to give, it's not necessarily a trigger warning, but it's more of a heads up. Um, we talk a lot about uh, race. We talk a lot of a lot about racism. We talk a lot about white supremacy. We talk a lot about corporate America and the inequities. Um, so I just want to let you know that that is the conversation that you're about to hear. Um, I know if you're here in my community, you are interested. You're wanting to be a part of of that this conversation. So I really hope you enjoy it, and we will talk soon. Welcome everybody to this new episode of When Hustle Meets Flow. I'm your host, your friend, your life coach, Christy Dole, and I'm so excited. This is a first on this podcast. I have my very first family member here, <laughs> my cousin, my younger cousin. Her name is Tanya Mendez, and she is here. She is a coach. She is so many amazing things. Um, and we're going to talk all about that, but please welcome to the podcast, Tanya Mendez. <laughs> I can't hear you. You can't? Oh, okay. I can hear you now. Say hi. Woo. I said, woo. Prima's united. Okay. <laughs> we're on the, we're on the hustle and the flow. That's right. So Tanya is my cousin on my mother's side. So she is my Colombian cousin. Um, she's also, uh, well, I'll let her kind of explain who she is and her background, but she holds such a special, I, I have to say this. She holds such, such a special place in my heart. How, how, how much younger are you than me? Nine years? What Maybe, year were you born? Yeah. Do we what want year? to say our age? I don't, what, <laughs> what year were you born? Um, 1990. Oh, okay. So I'm, I can't do math. Yeah. Nine years. So she's nine years younger than me and I have the best memories of her growing up, but she has really grown up to be somebody that I, that inspires me, somebody that I watch, I follow. She is creating this beautiful community. She's very mission-based. She's a projector just like me. And she really is creating her own community and like leading them, not just from the front, but from the back, almost like hurting and shepherding the women that she's working with forward into this new paradigm that I'm going to have her explain. So Tanya, tell us, who you are, what you do, your background, all the things that are important to you, and we'll get into it. I love it. Thanks, Prima. Um, okay, so my name is Tanya Mendez. I am a career coach. I don't really like to kind of say all these titles, but honestly, I am just on mission to really help women 
um, specifically women of color, Black women, um, Indigenous women, to really succeed in the workplace. Um, and that encompasses so many different things. But I'm really on mission just to help them be more aware of the beliefs that are holding them back, some of the mind blocks that they have, some of the mindset shifts that we need to make, but also to educate them and empower them with the tools that they need to succeed in the workplace so that they can show up as their most authentic self and then also make sure that they're getting paid and they're being hired and promoted. So that's really important to me. Um, it's part of my story. It's part of my journey. Mm -hmm. And so that is really what I'm on mission to do. So as a career coach, that's what I do. But then also in the workplace, I'm a really big advocate on all of those things, not only equality in the workplace, but equity in the workplace. Mm. Um, so that's really important to me. And that's what I do in my corporate role. So it's really just kind of who I am and what I do. Okay. So much that I want to ask you, but first, if it's okay, just tell everybody like your background, why this is important to you. And if there's any sort of story that kind of, um, was the, was the switch on that, like, okay, this is the work that I'm going to do. I would love to hear yeah. that. So I think, um, everybody, everybody's journey is different, right? Like we yeah. both grew up with Colombian parents and part of my identity is not only having um, a Colombian mother who is an immigrant, but also my dad is black. So growing up in New England, specifically New Hampshire, I was constantly in community where it was all white people and we were like the only mixed family. Mm. Um, so that was kind of my journey growing up. So I had a lot of identity issues growing up um, in the sense of like, we were pretty much the only black and Latino family. And I, de I didn't really get the opportunity to see a lot of representation in my school, in you know different roles, in leadership. The only positions of leadership or the only representation that I saw was really just in the shows that I would watch. Um, I used to love BET. <laughs> I used to love BET. It was like 106 in Park, BET. I'm like, I need to watch the show. But um, <laughs> yeah, the only way that I would really see representation was just kind of like either on the radio or through books or on TV. And so I really kind of um, had a lot of identity issues. So then fast forward to college, I leave New England. I'm like, get me out of here. I moved to Arizona where there's a lot more representation, but it was still the same exact themes that were coming up. I continued mm. to see women being marginalized, being held back, um, specifically Latinas being held back, trying to be told how they needed to show up, um, not only in academics, but at work. And once I got a job, I started to see kind of like what everybody was talking about when it was just like, we need to drive equality. Um, I never really realized how bad it was until I joined corporate America and had my first job where I started to see just so many inequities in the workplace when it comes to um, pay gaps, when it comes to showing up as your authentic self, when it comes to discrimination in the workplace, there's so many things that come up. And a lot of those are part of my story and the things that I witnessed, not only from my childhood, but all the way into entering the workforce. Wow. Can you, would you mind sharing like whatever you feel comfortable with, but some examples of the inequity and specifically you said with Latinas and women of color that they're asked to show up in a certain way so that they can be, um, you know, they can get paid better. They can be taken seriously. Can you give some like actual examples? Cause I want my community to like 
have a wider and more vast view. I'm guessing most of my audience is white. I'm white and that's fine. But I really want to um, have them like understand because from somebody who went through it. So could you give me some examples of that, like specific? Yeah. And I, and I'm, thank you for asking that because I think a lot of people wonder like, what is it, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's kind of like shame and a little bit of guilt around asking that question. So I think stories are the best way Mm -hmm. to kind of give people an idea of what people go through on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. So for example, when I was working, um, I was working in higher education after I graduated and we had a really great, um, we had a really diverse group of people working in that office. But Mm -hmm. one of the things that I witnessed was the black women that I worked with, they felt like they couldn't wear their hair in its natural state. For example, Mm. the women would always have to straighten their hair and they always had to, what's known as like code switching. They always had to kind of like not show up as their authentic self because they were made to feel that if they showed up to the office and their hair wasn't straight, that they would not be accepted. Mm. And we see that like hair discrimination is real. Mm -hmm. There's actually um, a lot of awareness going around about that. And there's legislation that they're now trying to implement um, around the crown act, but that was one of the things. Yeah. So the crown act actually protects people from um, racial discrimination when it comes to your hair. And I think that it's awesome. It's long overdue because Jesus this is Christ. something so Sorry. real. <laughs> I was just going to say, Jesus Christ. Also, Tanya is very Christian. So I don't mean to d- disrespect you, but like, holy crap. <laughs> I don't know if that's disrespectful either. But like the fact that there has to be a law to protect people from wearing their hair is infuriating. Yes. Some other examples. So the one that I personally experienced and what kind of like kickstarted me wanting to get into the coaching field was when I was working in higher education, um, I'm going to age myself here, but I pretty much had this. No, because I'm going to talk about the fax machine and I don't know. Well, how many people <laughs> I'm like you are 32 or 33. Settle down. No. So one day <laughs> I went to the fax machine at the office and I saw everybody's pay. It was like yearly reviews. And I guess my boss had printed out everybody's pay. And I started, you know, line by line, looking at the men on my team and seeing how much they make because I knew their experience and I knew their education background. And I was shocked to find out that somebody that was doing the same exact job as me, he wasn't really good at it either. Um, No shade, but shade. (laughs) <laughs> um, wasn't really good at his job, had the same exact experience as me, had the same exact education background, was making $35,000 more than me. So mm. I'm over here making $33,000 a year, like scraping by. I had to have a second job. And this guy is doing the same exact job as me and he's making 75K. Right. So that was really what catapulted me into being like, no, women need to know not only how to negotiate, women mm-hmm. need to know how to handle this. And it's such a, it's such a big problem. And I Mm -hmm. think to put it into numbers, there is so much discrimination when it comes to equal pay that I don't even think women realize the discrepancies because you don't know it until you see it. And when you see it and you start to calculate it, I think it's somewhere to the effect of like over the course of 40 years, women leave around 900,000 to a million dollars on the table. Wow. It's crazy. And when you think about that, you're like, okay, so what are we going to do about it? But those are like the real inequities that we're seeing in corporate America right now. So I'll share a quick story. 
and actually it was when I was what, 23, 24, and I graduated college, I also worked in higher education and I worked in, it was for university of Phoenix and I was like an enrollment counselor. So my, um, reviews and all of that was based on how many people I successfully enrolled. So it was kind of like sales in a way, but also, but with an education focus and guess what? I was number one out of like 500 people. Of course I was, I was always good at my shit. I was number, I really was, this is not a joke. I was number one in my whole division and they gave raises and bonuses. And I found out that the guy that the guy that was number two, so I'm, I'm like 22, a young girl, right? This guy who was number two on my team, he was a, he was probably 35 and had like two kids and was married. He got a bigger raise than me. And I was number one and he was number two. And I'm like, and what, what I was told was, well, he has a family. And I'm like, (laughs) maybe I'll have a family one day and this extra raise will help that fund that. Like, So yeah, I just wanted to share, like, I think, unfortunately, I'm sure like most women have a story like that. A hundred percent. Yeah. Everybody has a story like that. What, tell me what specifically I'm curious. So, so the hair thing was for more like the black woman, what, what do Latinas, what's like something like a, like a theme that Latina women specifically, um, have at the workplace that is fair and inequitable. I'm curious. Yeah. So microaggressions, I mean, Ooh. microaggressions happen across Tell us the what board. that is. So microaggressions are like comments or statements that are pretty much passive aggressive, but mm. they're, they're focused on demeaning the person mm-hmm. um, and minimizing that person. So a common mm. microaggression that's used in the workplace when it comes to Latinas is Latinas naturally, I want to say a lot of Latinas, we have that gift of being leaders and we're outspoken. Um, and we like to address things usually. And if you're that type of person, you're categorized as spicy mm. or you're categorized as feisty or bossy. And it's Difficult. like, if that would have, if that would be a man, they would say like, oh, wow, he's so strong. He's a, he's a great leader. Wow. So I think that's one of the things. Another thing too, that's going on right now. Um, this is specifically more so for undocumented Latinas, mm. um, DACA, right? So a little bit of background on DACA. DACA, DACA was created um, under the Obama administration to give undocumented immigrants um, access to be able to work in the United States, to be able to drive in the United States. And I think it's a great program because it's people that came here as children Mm. and, um, you know, they've grown up here. The United States is all they know. So DACA pretty much gave them a pathway for them to live and be like regular residents. So and not be in fear and not live in fear and not live in fear. Exactly. Because there's so many undocumented immigrants that came here, they grew up here, they went to high school here, they went to college here, and then they couldn't get jobs. So it's just very um, inhuman and minimizing when you go through that. And you have to kind of like always have that that pressure of not being able to fully succeed and fully show up as yourself because of a law that doesn't protect you. So DACA essentially protects um, undocumented immigrants and allows them to work. So in the workplace, there's a lot of, um, right now, there's a lot of laws that are trying to withdraw DACA. And we see Mm -hmm. that in a lot of different states that are trying to repeal DACA. And that creates a lot of fear and kind of, um, 
anxiety around the workplace because I have a lot of DACA recipients on my team at work and it's like a constant fear that is always looming over them of like, oh, I don't know what the status of DACA is. Like, how does the workplace feel about this? What if DACA is repealed? So I think that that's another thing affecting Latinas and undocumented immigrants. Um, I'm trying to think of other examples, but there's just so many things I think yeah. that come up just for women in general. Yeah. Okay. So tell me a little bit about what you like in your coaching, like, how do you help women? What is it that you're teaching them? Like, yeah, let's start there. Yeah. I think what's different about my coaching is, is that, um, even in the coaching industry, when I first started, I didn't see a lot of women that were like me. So I think representation is so important. And when you know the stories and when you've lived a lot of experiences, um, you coach based off of those experiences. So for example, my course is an eight week course. It's an eight to 12 week course. And the first three weeks, we really focus on mindset because I know that there are a lot of women just like me who had identity issues that had a lot of limiting beliefs and had a lot of, um, just rules and ways of thinking that were holding them back from them reaching their full potential because that was me. And then the second um, half of the course is really empowering women with the tools and techniques of just the workplace today. I think that the workplace is evolving at such a fast pace that a lot of people think that, oh, if I just send in my resume, I'm good. And that's just not the case anymore. Like it really comes down to networking, negotiating, knowing the systems that are being used. So the application, the applicant tracking system is actually a vetting system that's used um, before your resume even gets to recruiters. A lot of people don't know that. A lot of people have amazing resumes, but they're getting thrown out of the applicant pool just because of a formatting issue. Those are things that like, I wish I knew, but like, mm. you don't know until you know. Yeah. Um, and then the last part of it is just leadership. How can we be the leaders of tomorrow? How can we show up and manage up and be the managers that we needed um, mm -hmm. and really be people centered? That's my big thing is being human centered. Mm -hmm. I think for far too long, corporate America has been focused on profits and with COVID and so many people leaving the workplace, now they are starting to really kind of rethink the way that we treat our employees and it has to be people centered. Mm. So that's, that's pretty much what my coaching is centered on. Yeah. That's amazing. I, I just am so proud of you and I'm so like, what's the word? I'm so happy that there are people like you that exist for these populations. Um, I'm just, yeah, I'm really excited about that. I mean, I, I am, I think corporate America is, is terrible. So I would never, <laughs> I would never. Christy, just so everybody knows, Christy is the first one. Anytime I post something about my job, she's like, I have corporate America. <laughs> so we, we know how you feel about that for sure. <laughs> but, but I think corporate America is a fucking joke because of everything that you're just saying. It's, mm, it's, mm -hmm. so I'm happy that you are here to, to steward a new evolution, which brings me to my question. Where do you think corporate America is moving? Like you say it's more people focused. I definitely see that COVID brought in this energy of like, you actually can work from home. I don't want to hear your shit. You know, Randy, the manager who says I can't work from home. Like, of course I can fucking work from home. Right. So, but other than that, what other changes do you see? Like the inequity in 
like people making money, like, oh my God, the fact that I looked this up yesterday, preparing for this CEOs in this country have their salaries have increased 400% since the 1960s, while regular American workers, it's like 8%. Talk to me about what you're seeing and, and be honest. Yeah. Let's talk about the system. So the system, AKA corporate America was never built for people like us. Number one, it was never built for women. It doesn't matter if you're white, black, Asian, indigenous, like the system was never built for us. Mm -hmm. Corporate America was built for white men and mm -hmm. it appeals to white men. Right. So just like so many things in this country, it is very hard being a non-white man because the system was never implemented and it was never meant to work for us. And we see that still, you know, today we still see men making more money. We still see more men in executive level positions. We still see men making more profit. So that is very frustrating. There are many times that I'm just like, you know what? I don't even need this job. And that sounds very privileged, but it's the truth too, because when you look at it, it can be so frustrating because you see so many trends of just like, this system was never built for me. Why am I going to try to adapt myself to a system that wasn't built for me? Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think that that's the sentiments of a lot of people, but the change that I'm seeing is, and this is why it's so important for not everybody to just like run and, and take the entrepreneur route, but for like women and everybody to feel empowered to really change the system. Number one, you need to know that there's an issue. And I don't think corporate America realized that there was an issue and that the system wasn't working until COVID mm. because before COVID, it was like, this is what we pay you. This is how we do business. And Take if you don't it. like it, leave. Yeah, exactly. And when COVID hit and people were like, okay, I got laid off. And then people were like, okay, come back to the office. People were like, no. People had time to reflect. People had time to decide, no, you know what? This doesn't fit with my lifestyle. I actually care more about my mental health, my physical health, spending time with my family than going back to an office and, you know, pushing paper for 40 hours a week. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's changing now because now you have employees that are speaking out and making demands. And some of the things that we're seeing of that is one of them that I'm very, very proud of, even though I'm not a mother, it's something that I still cannot believe we don't have is, um, maternity leave better. Yeah. Federally mandated maternity leave, maternity, maternity leave. Like how do we live in the United States? And we don't have that. I actually had one, um, one of my students that was in my class, she worked for the city of Phoenix in Arizona. She had a government job mm -hmm. and she had to quit her job because the city of Phoenix didn't offer any type of federal maternity leave. How do you work for the government and you don't have maternity leave? This it is blows America. This is so America. One of, the, one of the things that I really want to encourage your listeners is there is a movement called Moms First. Mm -hmm. Um, the woman that started it, she's brilliant. She started, um, girls who code and it's a <clears> national <throat> movement centered around mothers. And it's really focused on implementing legislation that focuses on paid leave and childcare, which, which is a whole other crisis happening in corporate America. You know, yeah. a lot of women have jobs and they don't have access to childcare or they yeah. don't have access to affordable childcare. Mm -hmm. So that not only implements that, that not only impacts women in the workplace, but it also impacts, you know, their day-to-day -day life and them being able to do what they have to do. Yeah. So I think 
that's one of the big movements happening. The other big movement happening is just like more so DEI focused. DEI? There's a lot of that? diversity, equity, and inclusion. Okay. So before diversity, equity, and inclusion used to just kind of be rolled up into human resources, right? You would have one token person that would be like, yeah, I'm focusing on diversity, equity, and inclusion, but there was no actual plans. Now we're seeing businesses really implement that into their strategy, into um, their goals and into their KPIs that they need to meet certain diversity numbers and they need to make sure that they're reaching certain demographics. Um, another thing that I'm seeing that I love is I, these- wait, Hold on, I just wanna ask a question about that. Do you think that that's helpful? Because I'm just, the, my my immediate thought went to, the person that gets hired just to meet their diversity quota, but then they're like in an office full of people that are forced to be in a space that they wouldn't have wanted them in that space to begin with, but because they had to hit a quota. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm thinking about, it's like when you take, it's like when people go to Africa and like look at the children, like they're at a fucking zoo. It's like, they're not here to teach you how to be a better human. Do, do you, is that landing at all? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I understand your point of view. The thing that's a very, so that's a very common thing that comes up, right? Even in my workplace, we are a European owned company and this idea of having a diversity focus is a mentality where it's like, well, why would we focus on diversity? Like we naturally should be diverse because the world is diverse, right? Right. The problem is, is, is that a lot of times because of systemic issues, black people or Latin people or like marginalized people, they don't have the same exact access and opportunities as other people. So equality and equity, I want to make sure that your listeners know that there's a difference between the two, right? So Tell equality us. is making sure that things are equal. So it means that each individual group is given the same resources or opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. So say if you have an apple tree and there's one person that has a ladder, but the other person doesn't have a ladder. And if you give that person a ladder, then that would be equality, right? Because Ooh, I love now that. both people have a ladder that they can now pick the apples from the apple tree. What a wonderful metaphor. Yes. Okay. So now I'm like, we have to be able to envision this because it's yeah. so hard. Equity is recognizing that each person has different circumstances and it allocates the exact resources and opportunities needed to reach an equal outcome. So mm. going back to the apple tree example, say you already have your ladder, right? You grew up white, you are an American citizen. So you already have your ladder set up and you are already picking the apples say if your ladder keeps slipping because your playing field has mud or mm. your soil doesn't allow the ladder to stick. Mm. That's an example of kind of like the systematic injustices that mm -hmm. don't let people be able to access that ladder so that they can grab that apple. Mm -hmm. So oh. that's the difference between equality. Full body chills as you talk. No, because this is such an important conversation, Prima. Like, Ooh, thank you. Keep going. It, it is. It's so important because a lot of people say, well, okay, we're, we're giving them access to the job, but they may have access to the job. But what if that person doesn't even have access to a computer to apply for the job? 
What if that person doesn't even have access to internet to interview for the job, Uh right? Yeah. That's not only inequality, that's inequity. So when we are talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, we're talking about making sure that we are adjusting our approach so that all people can apply for roles. Mm. And we're not hiring them based off of the color of their skin or based off of um, their, you know, how do I say based off of the color of their skin or based off of whether they have curly hair or not. Yeah. We are still hiring them based off of their skills, but we're not letting the color of their skin, hold them back from going for that job. Mm. And that's the difference. So I think when you have somebody in a DEI role and it's not even just about, um, it's not even just about race. It's also about access too. So there are a lot of people that are, that have different learning capabilities that even me, when I studied DEI, I didn't realize things that I was doing in the workplace that was not equitable for people that maybe have dyslexia or people that maybe have a hard time learning. Um, like neurodivergence. Yes. Neurodivergence. So All of those things fall under DEI. And if you have somebody in a DEI role, it really helps you to be aware and conscious of making it so that the workplace is an equal playing field for all so that everybody can have their ladders. And if somebody needs a longer ladder or if somebody's ladder slipping, they can all reach the apple tree. I love that. I hope you use that a lot because that's a really good way for people to understand. All right. I'm going to ask you some questions now that might agitate you. So just like take a deep breath, but what do you, what would you say? Cause it agitates me. Okay. Okay. Let's go. Just, just so you guys know, Tanya and I are very similar. Totally. (laughs) You and I are very similar. Like we like to have fun. We like to party. Um, and we're very passionate people. What would you say to someone who heard what you just said? about equity, diversity, inclusion, the apple trees, the the things. And they said, oh God, they should just get over it. They've been free for so long, like enough. I don't want to hear about it anymore. What do you say to those people? Which I'm sure are not listening my pod- to my podcast, but in case they want to forward it to a friend. <laughs> oh man. I, I know that. No, that's such a common thing though, right? It Even is. Though people don't say it. I know there are, they say it feel that way. They say it to me. Yeah, There's definitely, I mean, people are bold now. So people say it to your face, but anyways, I think I would say that number one, a lot of, it's easy for a lot of people to say like, you should just get over it when they've never had to experience what people have experienced. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very easy for people to say like, you've been free, but the reality is depending on what they're really saying, whether it's towards Black people or whether it's towards immigrants or whether it's towards Latinas. Um, I'll speak for... This would be more like for Black people. Yeah. That's a big one. I think it's very easy for people to say, like, you've been free for so long, but the reality is, is that we've never really fully been free because until the day that there are no... Until the day that you don't see black people being killed until the day that you don't see discrimination happening because of the color of your skin until the day that 
um, parents don't have to have the talk with their children when they get pulled, pulled over by a police officer until the day that um, you don't need to walk into a store and feel like you're being followed just because you're black until mm -hmm. the day that you don't need to worry if your name is not going to get you a job because it sounds too black until mm -hmm. the day that you know, you're not getting paid, what is it, 54 cents less than a white man because you're Black. Until that day happens, we're yeah. not free. Yeah. And so I think it's very easy for people to think like, oh, you were free, but we're not really free because we're still living the In impact the and the trauma yeah. of racism. Yeah. So that's do right. Wanna, do you want to know what I would say? Tell me. Tell me what would you say. <laughs> Because everything that you just said is like common knowledge. Like people fucking know that this is still existing. But what I would, um, un unless they like live under a rock, I, I just feel like it's, I just, well, you're, you're right. You're right. Maybe it isn't con common knowledge, but my, my viewpoint is people who can't have compassion and hold space, which is what somebody like that would say. The thing I would say to them is, what is it that you are having a hard time getting over that you're not giving yourself grace for? Because mm -hmm. everything is a mirror. And if somebody is like, oh, you know, black people or this person, they should just get over it, da, da, da. That's what they're saying to themselves about something that happened to them. And it's mm -hmm. just a mirror reflection. So that's what I would say. I, I love know. that. Yeah. No, it's true. There's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of um, internal work that you have to do if that's your response for oh, sure yeah that's well, yeah I mean racism to me is is um is is a part of yourself that hates yourself and therefore you hate others mm. like you you know I mean you, obviously you were taught it as a kid but then the intelligence and the maturity that doesn't allow you to grow out of that that's like your own internal shit you know yeah. um okay one thing I wanted to ask you is, do you think in corporate America, okay, so let me back up, you know, I'm sure maybe you don't know, but I teach a lot of like cyclical living mm -hmm. in terms of like for women, like our cycles. And, um, I am a proponent for like the day that you bleed the second day that you bleed, maybe even the third day that women bleed, like shouldn't work. You should go, you should be home. You should be resting, having heat, drinking your teas, allowing, you know, your body to just let go. Um, and obviously corporate America was not built for that because women, we have four week cycles, men have 24 hour cycles. Mm -hmm. So corporate America was built for men because by the time men enter into the phase of their day, that is like when we bleed, it's dinner time. That's, that's the way that that works. So do you think that there ever will be a time like, is, is that something that's on the mind of corporate America? Like, I think Spain actually just implemented a law that allows for one or two days a month, like period leave. And it's like, it's part of the law now, like women get paid, like they get one or two days off a month that it doesn't affect their job. Do you, do you see that happening? <laughs> Interesting. No, I, I, I honestly, to be completely honest, I really don't know much about that. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. Do I think that maybe we'll shift to like a four day work week? Yes. Do I think that? Oh, um, that's good news. I, I, I do think, I think that there's a lot of countries testing it out. 
I, the United States will be the last ones to sure. test it out. You can sure. bet on that because we're always last in everything, apparently. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. I guess I've never thought of that. I think we'll it advocate would be great. for that. <laughs> I think it would be great. I really think it would be great for women to be able to take days off because they do have their period because yeah. it would make sense, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. I just wanted to ask that. Um, let's see. Um, I have a question that's more specific to you and just your experience in life. Um, are you following Megan and Harry at all? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Let's get into it. And hold on before okay. we get into it. Okay. This is not an obsession because I know that there is one British person probably listening to this being like, the, the Americans are obsessed with the Royals and we're not, we're really not, but we appreciate good people. So let's dive in. Okay. Um, well, you do know that my daughter's middle name is Duchess, right? Okay. Well, yes. But so I, I will say, it's not that I have an obsession, but they're just, I don't know. I just love the princesses. They're so beautiful, but okay. So Megan in, I forget, I think it was her Netflix documentary is also mixed race. She's not Colombian, but she's half white, half black, just like you. And I thought she was black when I saw her. I, I knew she wasn't white. I and I she didn't look Spanish. So and I figured she was black, but she says that she was never treated like a black woman because of the way she looked. And that never entered into her life until she became a royal and the British press did all that shit to her. You guys can't see my cousin, but you look white, in my opinion. And mm -hmm. you always have. Um, and so I'm curious, like if that was like a thing for you, like, were you treated white and then people would see your dad or your sister that looked darker than you? Like, I'm just curious if you can talk about that and yeah, all of that. Yeah. That's something that comes up a lot for, I would say, um, mixed children and what she was really, what I think that she was really saying is something that, um, if you're mixed, you can probably relate to, but she shows up as like white facing. So even though she is mixed, she, Straight if somebody looks at her, yeah, if somebody looks at her, they're like, oh, you're white mixed with something else. Yeah. So same exact thing for me. Like when somebody looks at me, they probably think like, oh, she's Latina or she's white. I don't think that they would ever think that with I'm black. mixed with black yeah. um, because I am white facing. So that is something that I experienced a lot growing up because when you are mixed and you're mixed with Colombian and black, or if you're white and black, you're never white enough for the white person and you're never black enough for black mm. people. So it's this, it's, it's like this weird identity um, issue where you have to be okay with that. The other thing too, that I think is, is that I want to be cognizant of the fact that because you are white facing, you don't face discrimination the same exact way as say, if you have a mixed sibling that is really black, looks and looks yeah. black, you know? Yeah. So like for me, I have one sister that also looks white. And then I have another sister that looks black. She looks, she looks like my dad. She's got, you know, an, a beautiful Afro and yeah. um, she's black. Yeah. So I think, yes, when she made that comment, I completely understood where she was coming from. I know that it rubbed people the wrong way because when you say something like that, it does come from a place of privilege because you are not treated the same exact way as if you were mixed with black skin. And it's such a complex thing, right? But yeah. I do understand where she was coming from when she said that she didn't really experience the level of racism mm -hmm. in the United States because she was white facing, yeah. you know, but 
for the Brits, anything mixed with white is just yeah. not white. Apparently. Apparently. So okay. Yeah. So that's so interesting. So what I'm hearing is, I mean, I I know this. There's she's got two sisters. Her and her one sister are like look white and the other one looks black and they were treated differently. And that must be so like, wow, that's just, I wonder how many other people out in the world are having that kind of experience. <sighs> okay. Um, what's the other question I wanted to ask you? Um, okay. What do you say to people that have a job? You're going to know who I'm talking about right now. <laughs> What do you say to people who have a job that are like, well, we should, I'm just grateful to have a job. I don't want to ask for a raise because I don't want, I'm just, I'm just grateful to be here. Yes. No, <laughs> this is a mentality. Right. Yeah. And I see it not just with women. I see it with men. Um, mm -hmm. but I particularly see it with, um, I particularly see it with women. And overall, I think, you can be grateful for a job and you can be grateful to have a job and still know that you deserve to be paid what you should be paid. And that's a fact, right? Mm -hmm. This idea that we should just be grateful and um, just have enough to get by, it's not real. Honestly, it's like, it's just kind of like, it's corporate energy. It's like so typical of like the white male pretty much having ownership over other people. And like, you should just be happy to be here. You should just be happy to be in the room. You should be happy to collect a paycheck. Like, no, you are showing up. You're doing your job probably to the best of your ability. You're adding so much value. It is okay for you to ask for a raise. It is okay for you to ask for that promotion. It is okay for you to ask for a salary adjustment because you've earned it. And I think so much of us feel there's, there's so much internal work there, but so much of us feel that because there are other people that may not have a job or because there are other people that may not be making as, as much money as us, that we should just be content with what we have. Mm -hmm. But what I really want to encourage people to think is, is that you can be content with what you have and know that you are worthy of more because you bring more to the table and that's okay. Just like the stat that you said before, executives have been making 400% more in profits and the field team and the people that are pretty much at the bottom of the totem yeah. pole that are, you know, doing like, all the work, doing all the work are getting pay cuts and are being told that they should be grateful. Those are mind games. And yeah. you really need to have the confidence and the skills to be able to confront those thoughts and advocate for yourself. Because not only are you doing yourself a disservice when you say, like, I should just be grateful, you're doing the generations behind you and the people alongside you a disservice. Mm. Because if you advocate for yourself yeah. and you raise the bar, then yep. everybody else that's watching you is also going to raise the bar. Girl, you're giving me goosebumps. So when people like, I have clients that are like, I want to make more money. And I know that that sounds selfish. It doesn't sound selfish. Right. It's not selfish. What's yeah. selfish about it? Selfish That's... are the corporate people that are sitting there taking million dollar vacations on their yachts and paying their kids education, you know, $400,000 to go to these Ivy League schools and drive around in Lamborghinis while we're, we're over here pinching pennies, yeah, complaining about the egg prices going up. Like, no, I don't feel bad. I yeah. do not feel bad for 
asking for what people deserve because we deserve it. And we put so much into the workplace that I think that people should feel more confident that they're not only setting the bar for themselves, but they're setting the bar for their community and their coworkers. I love that. Okay. Be honest. How likely is it that you will be fired or a replacement found for you if you do ask for a raise? Because I think that's the biggest fear that people have is like, oh my God, you know, if I don't get it now, they're going to find someone else. Like, so how, how often does that happen? Or is that just like a made up fear? That is an absolute made up fear. Okay. I've worked with human resources in every single role that I've been in. So just a little background. I've worked in government, like in Washington, DC under the Obama administration. Number one, I've worked in higher education. I have worked in corporate, in the private and the public sector. And in all of those aspects, I have worked with human resources. I cannot remember any time that anybody has asked for a raise, them getting fired. You can't legally fire somebody for asking for a raise, nor do people find it like offensive. It's something that we really need to stop thinking like, I can't speak up because I'm going to get fired. Absolutely not. You know what happens a lot of times when people ask for a raise, that boss or that manager usually is inspired to advocate for that person. And they're Mm. like, you know what, you, you, I wouldn't want to lose you because losing you would cost more money. It takes more Mm. money to have somebody fired open the job and rehire them than it would be to give somebody a bonus or give them a raise. You want to, that's important. That is an important fact. And I'm just, if I'm being honest, I'm thinking about when I used to be in corporate America, like I would always think like, Oh my God, if I ask for raise and they're going to know and like da, 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 da. But what you just said is really important. It costs them more money to fire you rehire and train someone than it would be to just give you that raise. A hundred percent. And they know that. And there's so many like games, right. That we have in corporate America, like this idea that people can't share what they make. You Mm. 100% can share what you make with somebody else. Like, you know what I realized, I realized, and I think it was through you that that is, um, that was like a, that was like a thing that was made up to keep people from not knowing how much they make. And then that the silence feeds the power of the people that are like basically keeping you disempowered. I I think I learned that from you and yeah. Yeah. Keep going. (laughs) Yeah. So like pay transparency is such a big thing, but the real facts are that if you go to your boss and you have a salary adjustment conversation, they're going to go back to HR and see, you know, what are the possibilities of them increasing your pay? And another thing that you should be asking for is If you are in a role right now, you should be asking your manager HR and asking them if they do any yearly compensation reviews. Mm. What this means is, is that HR should, should be analyzing everybody's pay um, that have the same, that have the same titles and the same experience and making sure that everything is level. So for example, when I just got into my last management role, I stepped in and when it was like the compensation cycle and we were going over everybody's bonuses and yearly raises, I wanted to see all the receipts. I wanted to see everybody's pay. I wanted to see all their experience. I wanted to see um, what the trends have been for each of them in their roles. And there were some people that I needed to bring them up to a certain base because 
there were huge gaps. So that's a big problem. And not everybody takes those steps. But I think if you're going into this and you know that you need to advocate for yourself, ask your human resources department if they do yearly compensation reviews and what that process looks like. The other powerful question you can ask is, I need to know where does my salary currently land in um in comparison to the range for this role. Mm. So pause. What does that mean? Every single role in corporate America has a title, a job description, and there's a range for that role. So say you are an admin assistant, your range for that role may be 65 to 75,000. You want to know what that range is because if you are making 65,000 and you've been working there for 5 years, you are at the lower end of the pay range Mm -hmm. and that is contributing to the pay gap. Mm. So you need to make sure that you know where you stand in your range and then you can advocate for yourself and say, you know, I've been here for the last year. These are the ways that I've added value. These are the projects that I've taken on. I would like to be adjusted to come in at X range. That's like a simple negotiation tactic, but it's so important for you to know where you fall in the compensation range because you could be missing out on a lot of money just because you don't know that. Mm, Such a good tip. Thank you. Okay. I just have a couple more questions and we'll wrap it up because this is just so good. Um, I was, I know many people like this, but I was having a conversation with a friend yesterday and we were talking about the train thing that's happening in Ohio Mm. and how my thought is that essentially corporate greed and politicians that enable that corporate greed is really the cause of this. Um, As we know, the Trump administration deregulated that industry and that allowed the decision makers of that company to cut people working to make their bottom line bigger. And now we have this environmental disaster. Um, So her and I were like talking about this and she was, you know, her point of view is that billionaires, we should be thankful for them because they donate so much of their money. Um, and so I'm like, okay. And so we're talking and (laughs) we're like talking and that was okay. We're like talking. And, um, you know, I was kind of telling her like, listen, if there's a billionaire that like, if a billionaire earned their money, like good for them, but if they own a business where people have to have a second or third job to not only get by, but like pay for a vacation once a year or put money into savings, that person should not be a billionaire because he can't afford to have his business. And she thinks that if you want to have a vacation, you should work a second or third job. This mindset that this friend of mine has is, it's not that she's a bad person because she's not, she's a very like loving person, this friend of mine, or else she wouldn't be my friend, but it's this deep, deep, um, I'm just going to say it. This is my opinion, patriarchal white supremacist um, conditioning that's inside of her that makes her feel like a vacation is something that not everyone deserves and that you, sh- you know, if you're going to, if you can't afford it too bad, get a second job. And I'm just curious, like what your thoughts are on that mindset in corporate America. And if it's, if it's gaining speed, if it's slowing down, if it's kind of just there and never going to go away. Cause I believe that her thinking is what continues to uphold what toxic patriarchy, white supremacy, 
capitalism in the form that we're seeing it today. That's just so imbalanced. A hundred percent. Um, I agree with everything that you're saying. I, I do think that, um, corporate, corporate greed is like so rampant, right? And so many of us think that like inflation is due to lack of resources. I don't think that there would be lack of resources if there wasn't corporate greed. Like you saw record profits being made by so many companies, by the oil industry, by the food industry, by big pharma, like all of these large fortune 500 companies made so much profit, record profit during COVID and now we're seeing mass layoffs and all these things while the people at the top are still making money and wreaking the benefits of um, all of those profits. So I really hope corporate greed gets dismantled. Um, I wish that there was more regulations around it, but there isn't. Um, I do think it's because we are a capitalist society and that's the way that things have always run. And even though... I would love for it to change. I don't see it changing, unfortunately. Mm. Um, in regards to people should just get another job, I think that this is something that we see a lot of Americans talk about is this idea that if you work hard, you can live this life. And the reality is, is that you could work your ass off all your life. How many of us know people that work their ass off and they're still working two, three jobs? Yeah. And it's not because they're buying Starbucks. It's not because they're going on target runs. It's because we as a society have not increased the minimum wage mm -hmm. on a federal level, literally in the last 30 years. I think that mm -hmm. the federal minimum wage is 760. Like that's really pathetic. Mm -hmm. um, there's so many things that we haven't done because as a society, we haven't all decided what is basic human rights. And for me, I think that basic human rights is, is that whether you work or whether you don't work, you should have access to quality health care. Mm -hmm. That's still a debate in the United States. I know. I also think that you should have access to quality education. That is still a debate. Mm -hmm. I still think that you should have access to quality higher education. Mm -hmm. That's not going to break the bank. You know, mm -hmm. community colleges should be free. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's, it's a difference, not, we're not talking just about corporate greed. We're talking about a mentality of what is a basic human right. And I think that basic human right should be the ability to have a home, to be able to live in that home um, and not have to be homeless because you don't work three jobs, but be able to have access to a home, be able to have access to healthcare, be able to have access to an education. I think that that is the American dream. And that should be the basic standard for anybody who works in an American job. And yeah. the fact that that is not the standard blows my mind. Yeah. And people who think like, oh, if you want that, you should get a second job. No, that should be the standard. Yeah. You should be able to work and be able to have a home and not be one paycheck away from being homeless. Yeah. You should be able to have access to healthcare and not be worried about um, you know, if I lose my job, I'm going to lose my health care. That's another issue, you yeah, know, and huge. that's something that that's something that I experienced myself because when my sister got sick, I took family medical leave. What does that mean? Family medical leave is only for parents or for um, partners or for your children. Family medical leave doesn't apply to siblings. Aww. So I would have lost my job 
and been homeless and without a paycheck because family medical leave laws don't apply to me. So there's so many different things. And what I would encourage that friend to do is really question, what do I think is just like a basic, basic human? Yeah. yeah. What That's are a the- really good thing. Basic human rights. You know, basic I'm going to, I'm just going to say, I think that if you work a 40 hour work week job, you should have all those things and you should have, you should be able to have enough money to go on vacation and you should be able to have a Starbucks here and there. A hundred percent. Like, you know, it's just, and, and yeah. Um, okay. This we're coming into my last question. Um, thank you for, for saying that. Cause now, yeah, it's really about like, what do you see as basic human rights? And it's interesting because what's not standard in America is, home, healthcare, education, but you know, what is your right? And people will just scream it into your face is to have a gun. Yep. (laughs) That's your right here in America. That's yeah. So I have a question. So I'm I'm not going to totally put all this stuff on blast, but I do know that you have had a relationship with money that has evolved over time. You've become a better steward of money. I know you paid off a lot of debt. I would love to hear from you. Like, what is your money mindset? Because, and the reason why I bring this up is one block that I believe for receiving money is that thinking rich people are bad. And I know that we've talked a lot Mm -hmm. today about billionaires and corporate greed. And it's like, I say this to myself and my clients all the time. It's like two things get to exist. Like, I think that there are fantastic rich, rich people out there. I know that when you have money, you can do good things with money and- and I also know that corporate greed exists and there's billionaires that have people that work for them that are on welfare. <laughs> like that's a fact. So I'm curious for you because I find, I see you as successful. I didn't mention this earlier, but she was featured in Forbes, everybody. <laughs> so this is, I mean, we're not talking to just a Joe Schmo on the street, um, but Sweet. I see you as very successful and having had a really um, transformative relationship with money. And I would love to hear what your money mindset is. Yeah, no, thank you for bringing that up um, because I do, I love talking about money now. And I think it's something that has always been like so shamed and like hush hush in our culture. Like you don't ask people how much they make and you don't talk about your salary and you don't talk about your debt and everybody knows that they have money issues, but nobody talks about it. So my money mindset has definitely evolved. Um, I used to, I used to be inundated with all those messages, right? The, um, there's just so many messages. I can't even remember them because I've blocked them out so much now, but like common messages were like, um, money makes people bad or like more money, more problems. Yeah. And like hard to make these- money. You have to struggle. Yeah. And Rich I think people are bad. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. we were talking a lot about that today. Here's the difference. Yeah. There are people who make money, their identity, and there Ooh. are people that use money as a tool. When you use money as your identity, honestly, it, it, there's there's a saying in Spanish, and I'll say it in English. It says, "Say it in Spanish, um, and then translate." Okay, eres tan pobre que solamente tiene dinero. You're so poor that all you have is money. Ooh. And what that means is, is that there are some people that their only identity is around them being millionaires or billionaires or having you know stocks and being rich and having all these things. That's having money as your identity. When you use money as a tool, girl, 
is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Using money as a tool is just so different. And so what do I mean by that? When I started to realize that you can use money as a tool, um, you use it just like anything else. You use it like a car, you use it like a home, like everything's a tool, right? And so when I started to really not being intimidated, like not be intimidated by money, because there were times before that I literally would have a paycheck come in. I would not even look at my bank account and be like, I think I have this much money. I'm just, I'm going to just spend. And then my money would go into um, negative and I'd be like, okay, just got to wait till my next paycheck. Mm-hmm. And I was so afraid to like handle my money. And at that time, like my money was handling me, my mm-hmm. debt was handling me. And if you don't know your numbers, you're going to feel like you're constantly sinking and like you never have enough money. So now what I do is like, I have a money system, you know, I have um, different ways of organizing my budget and even that too, like a budget. I always felt like that was trying to put me in a box or hold me back. And now I don't think that way. I think it's just so freeing to know like, okay, I have money allocated for Beyonce tickets, family trips, slush funds, like home expenses. And every single time I have income, it has a different um, bucket that it needs to go to. And it makes me feel more empowered knowing that I'm using that tool um, to, to, to accomplish my goals. And that was really um, hard at first because I was $75,000 in debt. Wow. And when you're that deep in debt, you're student like- loans, right? Yeah, student yeah. loan debt and a little bit of credit card debt. But when you're that far in debt, you feel like there's no way out. Yeah. And so for me, once I started changing my money mindset and really just um, knowing that any money that comes in is a blessing, but it can also be used to accomplish my goals and then just giving it a purpose. So every single paycheck had a purpose. Um, it wasn't meant to hold me back. It was meant to serve me. And now I think it's just great to be in a place where I'm responsible with my money in the sense mm-hmm. of like, I feel free to be able to give money the way that I've always wanted to give, to support things that I've always wanted to support. Um, to do things that I've always wanted to do. And I think that that's so freeing when you know how to use money as a tool, but you don't also, for example, so my husband right now, he's not working, but instead of me worrying about like, oh my gosh, where's the money coming from? Money was never part of our identity and it was never part of our marriage identity that it really doesn't bother me. The fact that he doesn't have a job right now, it's more so like, okay, what are we going to do? What's the plan so that mm-hmm. we can have revenue coming in? Yeah. But before I think a younger me would have been like, oh my God, there's no money, right. you know, which can be very, it holds you back at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah. It, I Sorry, love that, that was so much. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. Thank you. Well, okay. Tell everybody where they could find you like on Instagram yeah. or whatever. Yeah. You can find me on Instagram. It's unapologetically T. Um, And then if you're interested in learning more, I'm on LinkedIn under Tanya Mendez and then my website, tanyamendez.com. Amazing. And all of that will be in the show notes, everybody. So this was my first family guest. I actually, just between you and I, I'm trying to get Greg on. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do it. Greg is so amazing. I'm trying to get my husband to be a guest on my podcast. I just have to catch him at the right time. But this was so fun. I'm so glad we had this conversation. I think I want to have you back. We'll prep, but I think I want to have you back to talk about 
my other favorite subject to talk to you about, which is religion. (laughs) Which is religion. Oh no. Have another prima take that one on. I nominate Natalia. I nominate Natalia. Okay. Oh God. I nominate the Brits for that one. Okay. All right. I love you so much. I'm gonna hit end. How do I do this? Oh, there we go. Goodbye, everybody. That was such an incredible conversation. <laughs> I hope you really enjoyed it as much as I did. I know my biggest takeaways were that it's okay to ask for a raise if you have a job. In fact, you should. And not just for yourself, but the community around you and the ones that will come after you. And I think that's so important. I also really loved what Tanya said about her money mindset and how she shifted her identity or she shifted her money mindset around money is is her identity into money as a tool and would love to have her back on the show to talk more about that. And I might, um, but I really would love to hear from you all. Did this land, is this something that was helpful? Um, do you work in corporate America and are you seeing diversity, equity, and inclusion as a theme that is rising? How does your company feel about that? Talk about that. Um, as always, you can find me at When Hustle Meets Flow over on Instagram. Take a picture of yourself listening to this or take a screenshot of the episode itself. Post it on your social. Tag me. Let me know your biggest takeaway. It's these conversations being had on a collective scale that will inevitably bring change to our lives. And we all deserve it. Whether you are a man, a woman, whether you are white or black, whether you are um, you know, gay or not, this affects us all. This affects us all. And so I want to thank you guys for listening to this conversation and I will see you next time.